Good morning. Some of you, us, diehard Lions fans, <laughs> are tempted to check. With Brad and I were just talking about that. Tempted to check your phones. And uh, he said, he, I got to share this. He said that uh, he forgot his phone at home this morning. The Lord was teaching him a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was great. I left mine at home too. Um, Oh man, it's good to be here. We had a great time of fellowship at the Harvest Party last night. I'm glad for everybody who made it out to that. It was a little windy, but it was still a beautiful day. We couldn't have hoped for better. Uh, we had a good time. We learned out. We learned uh, about shooting at the target, kind of like what we talked about last week, right? <laughs> and uh, so it was a really good time of fellowship, and we praise the Lord for that. And it's good to be here this morning. I, I have to admit, I feel a little tired this morning, so bear with me. I'm hoping for a boost of energy here. So why don't we go to the Lord in prayer to start. Father God, we are thankful and grateful for your love. We're thankful for your compassion, your grace, your mercy, but also thankful for your holiness and your justice, Lord. You're a righteous God, and we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would... Uh, Use me uh, as a vessel this morning. Speak through me, and may you be glorified through your word this morning. Thank you for this journey of faith that you've brought us on, for all that you've taught us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about our sure hope of faith and all of the blessings that come with having hope. Hope. Something that there's definitely a part of our world that does not have. And we talked about the differences between having hope and not having hope because of what Christ has done for us. And uh, we talked about the hope of eternity, and we're going to kind of continue off of that with our final message in this faith series um, and talk about enduring faith this morning. Wouldn't it be great if we always reacted in faith to the things that come up in life, if we always kept our focus on God in the midst of maybe the daily struggles that happen? Um, no matter what the circumstances of life or the challenges that came before us, we were the father, we were the boss, the coworker, the husband, the friend that God wanted us to be. That would be awesome. I think we would all admit we fail, we struggle. But our desire is to endure in our faith. Our desire is to run the race well that is set before us. I think uh, of when you go to a party and oftentimes they'll say, you know, how, who's been married the longest here, you know, and a few different people will raise their hands and then you'll have that one couple kind of chimes in right at the end and it's like, blows everybody else away. 50 years of marriage. And everybody applauds that because they ran the race well. They stayed faithful to each other to the end and everybody cheers that. And I think that's our desire as believers. We want to run that race well. We want to endure in our faith to the end. And so that's what we're going to speak about a little bit this morning. As many of you know, before we moved down here, I was commuting back and forth for a few weekends, and I had the privilege of staying with um, Doug and Kathy and uh, staying at their house a couple different weekends. Along with that, I also got the chance to go paddling with Doug. Some of you know that he is a passionate paddler, canoeer, and uh, he has participated in a few different canoe mar marathons over the years. And he does a great job of that. And, you know, and there were some lessons that I learned along the way. But I want to talk just a, a moment about the Osable River, River Canoe Marathon, which Doug has participated in. It's over 120 miles long. I can't imagine canoeing for 120 miles, to be honest. I think maybe we went two miles <laughs> when we were out together. I don't know. Maybe a little more than that. Okay? 
with about six portages. That's where they have to get up out of the water, run with the canoe, and then get back, get back in the water at another station, okay? This endurance canoe race takes an average around 15 to 20 hours to complete. Sometimes there's, I think there's a record around 14-something right now for the fastest for that race. Um, it requires training. It requires skill. And if you hope to survive that grueling workout well, there's some certain things that you're going to need to do to be able to succeed in it. Before we do that, I thought I'd give you a glimpse of one. I, I wish Doug had been around. I would have gotten a video clip of him. But this gives you a picture of the intensity of the race. Slow motion for a second there. the video part of that. Um, anyway, it's not playing exactly the right way, so it doesn't look quite as intense as it is, but those guys are flying by. Pum, pum, pum. And, and I could even see, just after my short time with Doug, I could see some of them that were doing things right way, and I could see things that were like, uh, they don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? They're just like, <laughs> you know, and water splashing behind them, and I'm like, no, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Um, so anyway, but it's intense, and it's a grueling workout. And these are some things that I picked up just from my short time with Doug out on the water. First of all, you need to train. Obviously, you need to build up endurance through practice and through learning proper technique so that you can carry that speed through the entire duration of the race. I mean, that's 20 hours. That's overnight that they're racing and be able to keep going at that pace. Okay, the second thing I learned is you need to keep things balanced. And I keep jumping around, messing you up. You need to keep things balanced. Okay, uh, those canoes are skinny. They tip very easily. I'm thankful that he, when we went out, we went in a wider canoe because he figured I'd, we would probably dump if we were in the racing canoe if you're not experienced at it. But they tip easily. It's hard to recover. Uh, it's hard to maneuver around obstacles without tipping over until you've gained a lot of experience and practice. And those obstacles then can slow you down. Uh, the next thing I learned was that you need to stay in rhythm, right? Rhythm with your partner. If you guys aren't working together in rhythm, and that rhythm gets broken by things that happen in the water, something that comes up you have to move around, then that slows you down in the race. And the other thing I learned is that you have to push past the pain. Even in the couple hours we were out on the water, I was feeling it towards the end. I was hurting. Okay, and there's a point where there's a mental barrier that says, I can't go anymore. And you have to be able to go past that mental barrier and say, I'm just going to keep going anyway. You know what I mean? And there's, I'm sure, multiple times where you hit that barrier in a race of 20, you know, 20 hours, 17 hours, however long it takes you, and you have to push past that barrier, and you have to push past that mentally. Okay, so those are some lessons from Canoe Marathon. If you aren't committed to those things, when you enter that marathon, you're going to lose the race, but not just lose the race. You may have a hard time even making it to the finish. I watched one of the starts of the races, and you could see people who just like showed up that day, probably hadn't practiced at all, and are just like, we're going to just try this. And I'm thinking, they're not going to make it to the end of this race. 
because they haven't prepared, they haven't done any of the things that I talked about, okay? Um, the same is true, very similar about our faith, guys. We cannot succeed in living a life of faith without having certain disciplines in place which help us to endure. And that's where we're going to go today. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Can you turn in your Bibles? We've touched back and forth with Hebrews chapter 11 as we've um, looked at the stories of Abraham and Jacob and Moses and those men of faith that have been mentioned. And I just want to spend a little bit more time there, ending our time in our journey of faith. It says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them, greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And we're going to jump to Hebrews 12.1. Three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to take just a minute to give you a little bit of context to the book of Hebrews because it's really important to getting most out of the idea of enduring faith. One of the main reasons the book of Hebrews was written was because there were some Jewish Christians who were abandoning the faith and reverting back to Judaism. Others had begun to question their faith and wonder, was this really the best way? So in light of this, the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, which is debated a little bit, which man authored Hebrews, okay? The Holy Spirit, working through the author of Hebrews, gives us many reasons why salvation through Jesus Christ is the better way. Not only the better way, but it is the only way. And so you see that theme throughout the book of Hebrews, okay? The only way for redemption and forgiveness of sins, and the best way. He also pleads on numerous occasions to these new believers throughout the book of Hebrews to endure, to keep the faith, to stick with it, because it will be worth it. In Hebrews chapter 11, he shares, the author shares examples of many people throughout history of Israel, and that's what we've looked at in the past here in our series, who lived and died by their faith in God. They endured in their faith. And so he challenges believers here in Hebrews, in conclusion, to endure. And so we'll take a closer look here at the passage that we're in, starting in verse 13. Don't live for the immediate reward. So what are the disciplines, what are the lessons that we need to endure in the faith? First of all, don't live for an immediate reward. And I want to take us to the text first here. These all died in faith. These obviously is referring to the people of faith just mentioned previous to this. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, okay, and their testimony of their faithfulness to God. All right, when it talks about dying in their faith, we're talking about the fact that they were still living their faith out to the end, to the end. From the beginning to the end, they continued in that faith that they had in God to the point at which they died. They never let go of that faith. They continued to live in trust and obedience to the end. The next thing it mentions in the, in the passage is they did not receive the things promised. And we had talked about this way back in our series with Abraham, okay? So let's go back. Abraham and his family had left their homeland. And if you remember, we saw a map. They went from Ur to Haran. They spent some time in Haran. They gained more possessions. They settled. That kind of was like home. Some of their family, I think, were left behind there. But Abraham was called out of Haran, and he moved to go to the promised land, to the land that God would show him. And he traveled with his family to this unknown land that God was leading them to based on the promises of God that he would have land, he would have blessing, that God would multiply his descendants. And he trusted God, and he made this journey. But if you remember what happened, he's kind of on the mountains looking down on this beautiful lush valley, and it talks about him being a sojourner or a, a traveler in the land. Okay, He never was able to actually plant himself and live as a family with possessions, with land in the promised land. He was on the border looking at what God had promised to him and yet not able to possess it himself. And he lived his entire life like that. I don't know about you, but I would have been tempted to complain a little bit after the long journey and after all the transitions that, Moses, or that Abraham had gone through. I want the best now. I don't want to wait. God wants us to be happy, doesn't he? So, so I should just go and enjoy the land right now. Or maybe I should just travel back home where I was wealthy and respected and comfortable. I mean, these would have been temptations for him. I think they would have been temptations for us in his situation. Um, two weeks ago, my wife, or maybe a week and a half ago, my wife and I went shopping for watches. And there's a little story behind this. For a while, I've really been wanting a good watch. I, my other watch, the band died, and it's all beat up and stuff, and so I can't wear it on my wrist, and I just have my dress watch. So anyway, um, I was looking for a specific kind of watch. I wanted one that was kind of dressy and yet casual and sporty. Could be worn every day, but still look nice. You know, kind of the everything watch. And I wanted it to be quality so it wouldn't just break right away in, you know, a year or two. And I wanted it to be not really expensive. That's a lot of demands to put on a watch, right? So, so I'd been looking around for a while, and I, and I thought I found one in Cabela's, and I ordered it, and I got this watch, and it fell apart few days after I had it. So I returned it. I'm like, oh, I was frustrated. So anyway, my wife and I went shopping a couple times, and I looked at different stores, and I looked at many different watches, and I kind of was discouraged about all of it. And uh, we just happened to, to go to this one store, and we found these watches, and we really, really, I, I just love this watch. I was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And I was really excited about it, and I was excited to buy it. Okay, it was on sale, so it was, it was in my price range. It was everything that I had been looking for, finally, okay? Well, when we asked the, the um, lady if we can buy the watch, she says, 
Well, it's a pre-sale. So what that means is it's, you can buy it on sale now, but the sale doesn't happen until next week. So, and I don't get how all this works, but basically we got the watch at a sale price, but I couldn't have it. <laughs> so it is put aside until the whole sale process is a week later, and then we can come get the watch. So all that to say, I was really excited. I finally found the watch I was looking for, and I wanted to have it, and I couldn't have it. <laughs> and I still don't have it yet. It's supposed to come in the mail Tuesday. But anyway, the idea is there. I think as Christians, we struggle with patience. And I think if you look at what was happening in the context of the book of Hebrews, sometimes Christians expect that all their desires and all their dreams are going to be met immediately upon accepting Christ as their Savior. Some may turn and say, well, it's not worth it because I didn't get what I wanted out of this. Some may walk away because of that. Maybe some only joined because of what they could get from God and not because of what God had given them. And I believe that may have been part of the problem that the author of Hebrews was addressing, but I think it's a temptation as believers as well. So what did these men of faith do? You look at Abraham. He's, he's there. He's followed God. There's the promised land. I want it. I can't have it yet. I've got to wait. Oh, so hard. What do these men of faith do? Well, it says, Having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The original language here is um, what's called a present definite action. So while it sounds like it's in the past, having seen them, having greeted them from afar, it's really something that's carrying on in the present. Okay, so for them, they saw the land and they greeted it just like they owned it, just like it was their possession, even though it still wasn't. So their mindset was, this is ours. God has given it to us, and it's ours, even though we don't have it right at this moment. That was their mindset. They embraced the truth that this land was theirs according to God's promises, even to the point all the way up until when they died, even though they never actually possessed it within their hands. That was their mindset that they had. They understood that they didn't fit in with this world. This world is content with a temporary home. People live according to immediate gratification, right? We, we, we want what we want, what satisfies us right now. We don't want to have to wait, even if it might hurt us in the long run. But not these men of faith. They desired something more than that, something better than that. They weren't just looking for that temporary home or satisfaction. They believed what God said, and they held on to that, and they lived with that faith right to the point of death because they knew it was going to be worth it, and they knew there was something more and the temporary home that they could have. Okay, so then you move on. Don't live for the immediate. Okay? Reward. Live for eternity. Verses 14 through 16, it says, speak For people who speak thus, people who think this way, speak this way, like Abraham, They're showing us something. That's what the passage is saying. By the way they talked, by the way they lived, they were showing us something. What were they showing us? That they weren't looking for a temporary home. A home they haven't found here yet. Right? 
Okay? It shows us that they were looking for a home, but it wasn't this earthly one. For the people who speak this way, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And then it clarifies that. If they had been seeking, been thinking of that land from which they had gone out from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But instead, what did they desire? A better country. Okay, so here it makes it clear that there was an opportunity if Abraham and Sarah and their family wanted to, they could have just gone back. And I honestly don't believe God would have stopped them, but they would have missed out on the promise, wouldn't they? They would have missed out on all of that that they were holding on to by faith in God. They had the opportunity to return, but because they didn't return, it shows us that their focus was not on the temporary home. Their focus was on the eternal home. And so that's what the passage clarifies by the fact that Abraham and his wife and family stayed, living as sojourners, living on the edge of the promised land, believing in God's promise instead of going back home. So their hope was fixed on the future, on a heavenly home. And the author goes on to clarify that, and it says, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. A heavenly country. And, brothers and sisters, we have a promise from God of a heavenly country, too, that we cling to. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, these are the words of Jesus. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also and you know the way where I'm going. So Jesus spoke these exact same words, talking about God, talking about a place being prepared for us, just like a place was being prepared here for Abraham, and they believed that. And I think the most powerful part of all of this is how it concludes. It says, because of this, God is not ashamed to be their God, to be labeled, to be associated, to be represented by them. God was pleased to be represented by Abraham. Isn't that what we desire as Christians? That God would be pleased to be represented by us in this world? And that was the case here because Abraham and Sarah and their family were living for eternity and not for the temporary. They had their eyes on the future promise and not on the temporary reward. About two months before... Uh, we started our interview process here at Seneca Community Church. I was talking to my mom, and I was working at a golf course, and we'd been looking for a ministry position, and, and it just seemed like closed door after closed door, and we were wondering what God is doing. And uh, my mom works for a factory over in Zeeland, Michigan, and I worked there a number of times in the past, and they really valued me as an employee. And what was happening is most of the the upper-end um, administrators and stuff in this business are all about at retirement age, and they don't have many people trained to come underneath them. And so my mom mentioned to me, you know, you may want to consider coming and working here again, and I'm pretty sure you could work your way, you know, from, from management on the floor up into the offices and be paid well. That was tempting, it was tempting to me. 
It was something familiar. It was something comfortable to me. I'd been there. I'd worked there before. I knew the people there. And I knew it would take care of my family well if I'd have been looking for my temporary home. But as we prayed about it and sought the Lord, I knew that was not what he had in store for us. And I was clinging to this promise. I was clinging to the fact that I knew God wanted me in ministry and I knew he had a position for me as a pastor. And here we are today. Right? Because, not, not to boast to myself at all, but because I really honestly believe our faith was in God, that he had something more for us. And I wasn't going to settle for that. And that's what Abraham and his family were doing. And that's the example we have of how you endure in your faith. Not looking at the temporary reward, but living for eternity. And finally, as we see the author talk about as he concludes everything in chapter 12, living with endurance. How do we do that? Uh, I don't know if any of you are runners here. My wife ran cross country in college, and she kind of got me into running. I'd never really wanted to run more than 100 feet before. <laughs> or 100 yards, I'd say, a football field. That's, that, that, I was happy with that. Um, but anyway, so I started running with my wife in college. And I ran a few 5Ks after that. But honestly, the best 5K race that I ever ran was not when I was in my prime. It was just a few years ago, about three, three years ago or so. It, it was when I was most diligent in my training. And here's some things that I did, and I want you to kind of think about it in light of verses 1 and 2. Okay? First of all, I pursued a healthy diet. What was the talk about there? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us. Okay? I pursued a healthy diet, so I laid aside weight <laughs> by eating healthy and eating well and being careful how I ate my food because the lighter I was, the easier it was to run on my knees and on my body, right? Okay? The other thing that I did besides that was laying aside, getting rid of distractions or wrong priorities, things that kind of held me back from being being purposeful and committing time to my training. Okay, the next thing I did is I refused certain cravings. All of us has our weak spots, don't we? Okay, for me, once in a while, it's a Mountain Dew, and I really need a boost. I know it's not good for me, but I want it. Okay, or for my wife, it'd probably be brownies. <laughs> okay, I need that chocolate, okay? And so, in the midst of training, I was refusing certain cravings, things I really, really enjoyed because I knew they weren't best for me and they weren't helping me to achieve that goal. And when it talks about laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, that's refusing those cravings that try to destroy and slow us down in our walk with God. Next thing I did is I planned my schedule to make sure I made time to work out. I made time to work out once a day, sometimes occasionally twice a day. And so when the race began, I didn't necessarily leap out in front of everybody else because I knew my pace. I'd practiced long enough that I kind of knew my pace, and I stuck with my pace, and as the race went on, there were people that I passed. And I was able to build up and increase towards the end of the race and finish stronger. That's running with endurance. Okay? That doesn't mean that you know, we get saved and we're going to be perfect right away. Or we're going we're gonna to accomplish everything we want to spiritually. It is a race. And it's one that we endure. And so we start out with baby steps. 
And as we grow in our faith, we're building and we're building and we're building and we're increasing. And it's a full out run at the end to try to finish that race well. That's the idea here behind running the race with endurance that is set before us. Paul himself said he hadn't arrived yet at the goal, but what does he do? He presses on towards the goal that is set before him. I finished first in my age group in that race, and I was pretty excited about that. Now I have to qualify that. There weren't a lot of people in my age group. <laughs> okay, there was, there was one guy who won the race, and uh, he was pushing a jogger with a mentally handicapped kid. And he finished the 5K in, I believe, about 15-something, maybe 16 minutes. He finished the race. And uh, I was maybe three or four behind him in the end of the race. But anyway, if you were to compare us, I would say he's like a gazelle and I'm like a rhinoceros trying to run. You know what I mean? Okay? There's some people who are built for running, and then there's other people who try to run. (laughs) Okay? But anyway, I finished the race. I met my goal. I, I got the time that I was hoping to get, the best time I've ever gotten in a 5K. And I was pleased because to me, I had won the prize. I had finished the race. I had endured. I had done my best. I gave my all. And I made it to the finish line. And the passage goes on and says, looking to Jesus, our finish line, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of enduring, doesn't he? He looked ahead with joy towards the cross and towards sacrificing himself for us, and he endured all of the pain and agony and mental stress that I can't imagine leading up to that moment. And he did it with joy. And we all can think about what went on in the Garden of Eden as Jesus is struggling over what he's about to do as he obeys his Father and fulfills this. And He gave us the example of enduring to the end and reaching that finish line, and he endured the cross. But the other encouraging thing is Jesus is also the one that gives us the ability to endure. Because if it was all up to our own efforts, none of us would be able to do that. I want to read for you Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And so from the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think we all desire that. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to whose might? Whose might? According to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Jesus is the one that qualifies us for the race. He is the one that strengthens us according to his might to endure the race. And he is the example of endurance that we look to as we look ahead to the finish line. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of the Leadville 100-mile Leadville run, trail run. 
There's also, sorry, I got ahead of myself, didn't I? Okay, I'm going to show you the video. It'll play. so many unknown factors in every single 100 mile race. So many things can go wrong. The only thing to be nervous about is, is like the unexpected. I mean, no matter how well prepared you are, no matter how trained you are, no matter how many times you've done it, there's always something that kind of comes up and, and bites you in the butt. It just mentally wears you down. To cross the finish line, I think 80% of it is mental. When I get to the point to where I am no longer worried or a little bit nervous about the race, that's the time when I'm just too cocky. And uh, so I think it's healthy to have a little bit of that nervousness. Like, I'm nervous tonight. I don't know. I might not finish. that really is most enjoyable for me, I mean, the, the whole experience, I love every part of it, but being around other 100 mile runners. We're all 100 mile finishers, and we're, Sean and I are getting ready to run the uh, Leadville Trail 100, and Herbalife is uh, sponsoring us through this race. We're real honored to be here. The real secret to getting to 100 is having the right mental attitude. Experience the just the beauty of where we are. I mean, it's Leadville, you know, we're gonna go up Hope's Pass and I'm gonna get this incredible view and it's gonna be stars and it's gonna be so cool. And to me, that's kind of what I'm out there for. You know, if I run hard and I do real well, um, that's great. If I run hard and I get in just barely in time, that's cool too. And if I run really hard and they have to drag me off the course, all right, you know, that's what happened. But all that's gonna happen while I'm looking at amazing stuff, meeting people, having an adventure that's not me sitting at my computer at work. So that's what I'm here for. Marathon, typically, there's the wall, which is not just physical, but mental as well. In a 100-mile race, you might have five or six or eight walls, but you get through it. Was it prolong? I'm going to get you prolong and water. Like in this race, you have to get through it in 30 hours, or you know, you're done. So it's not forever. You know, the bad times don't last forever, but the memories last forever. I have a friend of mine who graduated with me in high school. That's insane, by the way. I mean, canoeing, 120 miles, a little bit insane. Running 100 miles, really insane. Yeah, a friend of mine from high school who graduated in my class uh, determined that he was going to run this race. And his goal was to finish the race, even if he didn't meet the 30-minute time requirement. Basically, if you make it within or 30 hours, if you make it within 30 hours, that'd be really fast. Um, you get this gold medallion, and if you make it under 
you know, I think there's another barrier, then you get a, even a better prize. So, but if you don't finish within that 30-hour limit, you don't get anything. But anyway, he determined he was going to finish this race, even if he didn't meet the time requirement. And what I heard, um, and this is a, through a friend of a friend, was that he ended up crawling the last few miles of the race because his feet were completely raw. But he did finish the race. Just like any athlete who trains, huge sacrifices have to be made. I think uh, Doug and I talked about this, and you might want to ask him, okay, what do they do when they need to go to the bathroom on a 17-hour canoe race? Just, just something you might want to think about. Sacrifices have to be made. And the Lord never promised that things were going to be easy. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And Paul himself said, Nothing compares to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Beyond all comparison, nothing compares to it. So how do we endure daily? I want to go back to the canoe illustration for our application today. First of all, training. Train yourself in godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7-10 through 10 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So we labor, we toil, we strive, as Paul states here, when we train ourselves for godliness because it's of far more value than even the physical training that some people put them through like these athletes. There's also, I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 9. 25 through 27 speaks about this. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Are we challenging ourselves spiritually? Are we growing in our own knowledge of God and our love for Him? Are we making sacrifices in our lives? Maybe we're sacrificing our favorite TV show. Maybe we're sacrificing some sleep because it's more important to us to have that time with the Lord. These are daily struggles, daily sacrifices that we make if we are going to endure in our faith. The next thing, keep spiritual balance and rhythm. Keep spiritual balance and rhythm to life. Colossians 3, 2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Are you looking for an immediate reward or an immediate gratification in this life? Those things will set you back in your relationship with God. Are there other demands or activities that are easily taking the place of your devotion time with the Lord, or an opportunity to serve the Lord. 
those things slow us down in our spiritual growth. They're like those obstacles on the canoe river that throw us off balance. And they slow us down in our faith. And they slow us down in our walk and in our relationship with God. What did Paul say? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Are we avoiding snares? Temptations? Do we, are we actively putting a way to guard those from our hearts and guard those from our families, those temptations that come up and try to snare us and destroy our fellowship with the Lord? And lastly, push past the pain. Push past the pain. Second Timothy 4, 7-8 through 8 says, There is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's look ahead to the finish line. Just like these men of faith, our focus has to be on the future, on the heavenly reward, if we're going to keep pursuing God by faith. We're challenged to endure just as Jesus endured the cross, just as Paul pressed on towards that goal and said it will be worth it. There are times when I think as believers we're going to want to give up. There's times we're going to be discouraged and frustrated in our walk with faith. There's times where we're going to feel like we're numb. And we go through those times. And we have to remember the eternal weight of glory in front of us. We have to remember Abraham and how he couldn't possess that land, but he had his eyes fixed on the promise that God had given him. And he knew that that was going to be worth more than the temporary. And we have to keep that in our minds. We have to sacrifice things in our life. Like the athletes do. Like my friend Jamie, who finished that race even crawling on his hands and knees. I want to finish the race. Even if I have to crawl across the finish line. And I hope that's the prayer of all of your hellers. Because I know that it will be worth it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, I'm challenged in my own heart and in my own walk because I want to be closer to you and I want to walk more closely with you and uh, I want to endure and I want to cross that finish line well and know that I have run that race with endurance. Lord, I want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And Lord, I ask that that's the prayer of everyone's heart here. God, help us to get rid of the junk, get rid of the garbage that distracts us, destroys us, and pulls us away from you. And Father, help us to press on towards the goal. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on the prize, fixed on the finish line, on the example that we have in Jesus Christ so that we can continue to endure with joy. I pray this in Jesus' name and ask that we would also encourage each other as a church family as we walk with you. Thank you for this journey of faith that you've taken us on, God. Thank you for all that you've taught us. And may we put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Jason.